No, world travel has changed significantly in the last 20 years. On a single day, you can have breakfast in Sydney, Australia, hop on a flight, uh, get to New Delhi and have your lunch in New Delhi, hop on a flight, go to uh, London, England, have your afternoon tea with the Queen, hop on the plane, come to Toronto and have your dinner in Toronto all on the same day. In addition to the fastness of the pace of travel, there's the emotional pain of leaving loved ones, as well as the anxiety of adjustment in the new country have also lessened significantly in this last little while thanks to the advent of internet and technology. You can be sitting on the plane at the tarmac texting your parents, and then as soon as you arrive in the new country, you can be FaceTiming them. And moreover, you know, uh, you, because of Google Maps and because of all of the orientation that uh, countries send before you immigrate, you can be educated about a particular country even before you arrive. It was not always like that. Even 36 years ago when I first came to Canada, it took a long time for me uh, to get to Canada. And the pain of leaving my family was inexplicable. And there was unimaginable anxiety of what awaited me in the new country. And even when I got here to phone my parents, I had to go through the operator. I often had to wait for two or three hours to get connected. And I had to pay a whopping $3.50 for the first minute. And some of you remember that. (laughs) Now, today we are going to look at uh, the journey, a remarkable journey of a young woman 3,200 years ago who showed extraordinary strength and amazing character in the midst of the adversities that she faced through the journey. And if you are visiting with us today, we are on a nine-week journey in looking at Old Testament characters and seeing what lessons we can learn from their lives and how they point us to Jesus. And this morning we are going to look at Ruth. But let me start with Ruth's destination rather than her journey. Ruth 4th chapter, uh, verses 13 and 17, read as follows. But Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and she bore a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi, uh, sorry, Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David. And this was not her final destination. If you fast forward 2,000 years... In the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew, which outlines the genealogy of Jesus, it names 42 men and 5 women, and Ruth has found a place in the genealogy of Jesus. Incredible destination for someone who belonged to a despised community. She, belonged, she was a Moabite, the progeny of incest between Lot and his daughter. And the, and the Israelites hated Moabites. And the Bible, moreover, says no Ammonite or Moabite can enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. But what changed uh, this edict that was given? Or what changed this, uh, uh, this law? Inasmuch that Ruth was able not only to enter into the presence of God, but found a place in the genealogy of the Son of God. And for that, we need to look at Ruth's journey. This morning, I, want to, I do not want to focus on Ruth's envy destination or her despised Moabitish origin. You know, it's human nature. Sometimes we get 
uh, either bogged down with our shameful origin, or we give undue importance to a flashy destination. We cannot change our origin, where we were born, the circumstances we were born into, or the circumstances that we are currently in, either because of the wrongs that we have done or something that others have done to us. But we can certainly change the journey that is ahead of us. In the, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Duncan talked about the journey of King Solomon with perplexing duplicity, who refused to allow God to, uh, to curtail the Mr. Hyde in him. Last week, Suresh talked about the journey of Habakkuk, the journey of faith, in Habakkuk asking God questions as he lived in a puzzling and an oppressive environment. And this morning, we are going to look at Ruth, Ruth's life and Ruth's journey. But before we get to Ruth's journey, I just want to give you a landscape of what happened. Now, between the, uh, right after Joshua, the judges ruled uh, Israelites. And three weeks ago, we, ta- we talked about Gideon, who was one of the judges. So between je- the time that judges ruled the uh, uh, Israelites and the first king, King Saul, was installed, that was a very dark period for the children of Israel. And probably the best way that period is summarized is in the last verse of the last book of the book of Judges. And there was no king in Israel at that time, and everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. It almost reflects what we see today. Everyone doing what seems right in their own eyes. And against that backdrop, we are introduced to the family, to a family. And this is what it reads in the first chapter of Ruth, the first three verses. There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his sons, uh, two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of the, his wife was Naomi, and the names of his sons, two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now, most Jewish names have significant meaning. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't it ironic that in the house of bread there was famine? And when there was famine in the house of bread, instead of going to God and saying, Lord, how come there is famine in the house of bread and examining themselves, they chose the easy way of leaving the house of bread in pursuit of bread to the, uh, to the land of Moab, and there Elimelech found his grave as well. There are two places in Proverbs where it says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is destruction and death. Now, the interesting journey from Bethlehem to Moab is progressive. And even today, we see the same thing. Now, the Bible says that they uh, left the land of Bethlehem in Judah and went to sojourn in the country of Moab. The word sojourn means to stay temporarily. And then, and they remained there. Now, sometimes we get tired of staying in the, in the house of bread. And we tr- want to take sabbatical away from God and want to sojourn in the world. And the progression is, uh, leads us to remain in the world. And in Elimelech's case, uh, he, paid, uh, he, passed, he died. And uh, subsequently, uh, his two sons, uh, Mahalon and Kilion, took Moabitish wives who come from an idolatrous background in disobedience to God's word. And after some time, Mahalon and Kilion, both of them passed away. 
And Ruth was left with her two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Naomi. And in the meantime, uh, Ruth and uh, Naomi had heard that God had visited the land of uh, Bethlehem, and there was prosperity, there was bread there, and so she uh, decided to get back to Bethlehem. And as she prepared to come back to Bethlehem, uh, she persuaded her daughters-in-law that there was absolutely no future for them if they followed her. So she convinced them, tried to convince them to head back to, uh, to their own land, to their own homes, to their own families, to their own gods. Orpha, the older uh, daughter-in-law, kissed uh, Naomi goodbye and went away. But Ruth, the Bible says, clave unto Naomi. And these remarkable verses that we see that uh, Ruth had used to convince Naomi that she was going to follow her. She said, Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you, will, for, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I also be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more if, uh, more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Ruth and Naomi undertook this uh, journey of uh, approximately 30 to 60 miles, but the terrain was rugged, as well as steep. And the weather was very hot, and we have actually driven uh, on that path. And it's very uh, tiring to walk, and it would take somewhere between 7 to 10 days. So Naomi and Ruth uh, embarked on the journey, reached Moab, uh, sorry, reached uh, Bethlehem, and in Bethlehem, Ruth was looking for a job. She found a job uh, in the field of Boaz, who happened to be a relative or a, a kinsman of Elimelech. And eventually, this kinsman redeemed Naomi, as was the custom of Jewish custom at that time, married her in giving her a home and safety and security. And what I want to focus on is three observations from Ruth's life. And the first one is when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her. Ruth had an attitude of determination. Now, look at the determination that she had. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Now, it's hard to imagine what would have happened to Ruth if she did not have this determination. If she went back to Moab like Orpha, we don't read about Orpha again in the scripture. Whereas Ruth, this attitude of determination to say, where you go, I will go, made her to enter, get into the annals of, uh, not just the heroes of faith, but into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, if she went back to Moab, she probably would have married someone, should have had a, a, a settled down, but that, that would have been the end of it. Now, about 1,200 years later, 12 men with the same determination said to the Son of God who called them, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Today, the same Jesus is wanting to lead us. But yet, we get bogged down without that determination. Now, this determination to follow Jesus is becoming a rarity in our culture. Where we see people doing what they want to do, when they want to do, how they want to do, doing it. 
without having that determination. In one of the last uh, crusades that Billy Graham, uh, 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 Billy Graham was addressing, uh, he said, we are a generation of the uncommitted. In this generation of the uncommitted, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is asking you and me for this attitude of commitment, where we will say, where you will go, I will go. Where you will lodge, I will lodge. What you will ask me to do, I will, I will do. And then uh, Ruth's determination was, your people will be my people. Now, as I was reflecting on it, I said to myself, probably the only Jewish people that Naomi would have, Ruth would have interacted with is Naomi, Elimelech, and her children. And I don't know if she actually interacted with the Elimelech. She would not have had any context of even seeing what type of people uh, uh, Naomi's people were. She probably would have heard of uh, the Jewish people hating the Moabites. Now, your people are my people is the blessing that God gives to each one of us who are washed in the blood of Jesus. As he unites us in material of race and color and culture and language and socioeconomic status. Now, what a blessing it is to be belonging to a community where we espouse the people of God. A few weeks ago when you were here on the last uh, weekend when Pastor Sundar and Shamla were speaking, when we had the Parade of Nations, over 50 countries were represented uh, from this community where you, where you saw people waving their flags. You know, what an incredible blessing that we have to be part of a community. But there's still a lot of work we need to do. We need to just get out of those cliques, the cultural cliques, and have uh, uh, this attitude of saying, your people are my people, immaterial of what preferences that we might have. No, I'm eternally grateful for the blessing that God gave me when I was a graduate student at University of Waterloo to be surrounded by God's people who were my roommates, who were from different cultural backgrounds. But one thing that united us was that we were all Christ followers. And all of the challenges that I would have otherwise faced to assimilate and to learn what I needed to learn, even as I was unlearning what I needed to unlearn as I came into the new culture. The Lord enabled me because of the blessing of people, His people, who now became my people. And they they moreover provided for me an accountability. We were praying together almost every evening with, uh, as roommates. And they were able to, we were able to speak into each other's lives. And what a blessing it is to be able to say, your people are my people. Now, even I, I just, as I was praying this morning, I was looking, I was just thanking God for the people that walked with me, a small group of people. Almost every one of the people, the small group of people that walk with me, who, who hold me accountable to, each one of them were born in a different part of the world. What a blessing that God has given to us to be calling his people as our people. And then Naomi utters this amazing words, your God is my God. Now, even though Ruth would have seen Naomi as a woman who, was, uh, who had gone through a lot, there was so much pain in Naomi's life. There was, uh, by her own confession, so much bitterness in Naomi's life. But in spite of the pain, in spite of the bitterness, or through the pain and bitterness, Ruth was able to see Naomi's God. Now, may God enable us 
to show forth in our homes, in our places of work, in our uh, schools, this God whom we serve. So that people would be able to say, your God is the God, I w- shall be my God. Ruth not only had an attitude of determination, she had a heart of devotion. Now the Bible says that she, in fact, it's interesting, you know, whenever, in, uh, very often when Ruth is referred to in this book, it says, Ruth the Moabite, almost reminding of the heritage. Ruth had a heart of devotion and she lived virtuously. And Ruth said to, the mother, uh, to, to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. No, no one told Ruth to look for work. No one told Ruth to look after her mother-in-law. Ruth got out on her own. She was not struggling with this entitlement syndrome that we see today. That someone needs to provide for me. She got up. And she took the initiative, and that initiative is seasoned with faith, wherein she says, I will glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. So she was looking for God who was working beneath and underneath, the, behind the scenes. No, there's nothing more sad to see someone who's just sitting around waiting for the opportunity and not doing anything. Just imagine what would have happened if Ruth just sat around. She would have missed out on the opportunity of, of being a partaker of the plan that God had for her. Not only did Ruth live virtuously, she was sensitive to God's leading. Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You know, this was a divine appointment that Ruth did not come late to. You know, the same God who, left, uh, who led the shepherds and the magi to the stable in Bethlehem was leading this Moabitish woman to Boaz's field in Bethlehem. God spoke and Ruth listened. What have we missed? Another Ruth, Ruth Bell in our lifetime, wrote a poem that God would give her a godly husband. And this is what she wrote as a young woman. Dear God, I pray all unafraid as girls are wont to be. I do not want a handsome man, but make him Lord like thee. I do not need one big and strong, yet not so tall. Nor need he be some genius or wealthy Lord at all. But let his head be high, dear Lord, and let his eye be clear, his shoulder straight, whatever his fate, whatever his earthly sphere, and let his face have character, a ruggedness of soul, and let his whole life show, dear Lord, a singleness of goal. And when he comes as he will come, with quiet eyes aglow, I'll know, dear Lord, that he's the man I prayed for long ago, and God sent along the path of Ruth Bell, Billy Graham. Ruth had a heart of devotion. No, Jesus said, him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast away. If we set our hearts in following Jesus, Jesus will move heaven and earth to give, the Bible says, he will give you the desires of your heart if it's his will. And he will give you abundance of satisfaction in what he is planning for you. If only we can have that sensitivity to God's leading. 
and Naomi, uh, I'm sorry, and Ruth allowed an older woman to pour into her life. And Naomi said to Ruth, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with this young man, meaning Boaz's young women, sorry. Let, uh, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz. Then Naomi said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? No, now Naomi was playing the role of a mother, being concerned about the future and the security of Ruth. And she was planning for, uh, uh, to arrange a marriage for uh, Ruth uh, with uh, the kinsman Boaz. But you know what is amazing about this story? Is that Ruth allowed an older Naomi to speak into her life. No, dear brothers and sisters, not only are we an intercultural church, we are an intergenerational church. We have men and women who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. Many of them have walked with the Lord for decades. If you have not found a, a mentor or if you have not thought of a mentor, seek someone out. Go out for coffee with them. And I'm sure they would be willing to, they are at that stage in life, they are not only pay for your coffee, but probably pay for a good meal as well. And all you will lose is two, three hours. Find time, make connections with older people, and allow them to pour, pour, pour into your life. Ruth was teachable. In the book that we wrote in the honor of Pastor Sundar Illuminations, I wrote a chapter on spiritual mentoring. Now, if you purchase the book, read that book and see how you can be blessed by allowing others to pour into your life. And the blessing is not only one way. Even as a mentee is blessed, the mentor is even more blessed as their perspective is fine-tuned with the cultural references that are changing and evolving all the time. Not only did Ruth have an attitude of determination, not only did she have a heart of devotion, but Ruth responded to the Redeemer's invitation. Now, one of the first things that we read in this response to the Redeemer's invitation is that Ruth recognized and acknowledged her standing before the Redeemer. Then Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. You know, this is a natural response that we have when we come to the cross and, uh, and, and look at the love of Jesus. Lord, I'm not worthy to be the least of your servants. And this is what Ruth is modeling for us. I have favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your servants. And not only did she recognize and acknowledge, she waited patiently for God's timing. Now, patience is one of those rare commodities today. And she had come from Moab to Bethlehem, and she was doing all of the things that she thought were needed to be done to take care of herself and her mother-in-law. And she was waiting patiently, even when God was working behind the scenes, and it looked promising that Boaz was almost within reach. Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She was waiting in God's presence. Dear brothers, and you know, perhaps some of you are waiting for that right job, waiting for the right husband, waiting for that right breakthrough. And as you are waiting, God will give you the strength 
And Ruth accepted unexpected provision, experienced unseen presence, and appropriated unlimited power. You know, the interesting thing is, Ruth wasn't looking for a husband. She was just looking for bread. Boaz was not looking for a wife. He had just come to inspect his uh, field. But through divine appointment, God was giving Ruth much more than she was desiring and, 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 and working for. And God was giving Boaz something that he could not have believed that he would get in to the annals of Jesus' genealogy. You know, the greatest blessing that God bestows on us is himself. His unseen presence. Now, one of the things that uh, came to me is throughout this story, you cannot miss the presence of God. God gave unlimited power to Ruth to see what God, that, that God was stronger than our broken state. And he was powerful and amazing and working behind the scenes all the time to redeem her. Dear brothers and sisters, Ruth had an attitude of determination a heart of devotion, and was able to respond to the Redeemer's invitation. Now, this is an incredibly, incredibly beautiful story of divine love. And what we see here is the context of this passage uses the language of redemption. We see that a young widow who was sentenced to poverty and hardship and then someone redeemed her. So absolutely hopeless situation. And working against her was the fact that she was a Moabite for ten generations. She couldn't even enter into the kingdom of God. But each character, Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, represent a player in God's loving plan of redemption. Both Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. I apologize that this print might be a little small here, but all of the PowerPoints are on the website. You know, Naomi longed for her child's redemption. Third chapter, first verse. Naomi made a plan for redemption for her child. Third chapter, verses 2 and 4. Redemption was only possible because of a relationship with the Redeemer. Elimelech and Boaz were related. And Naomi moved on Ruth's heart to act and claim that salvation. Third chapter, fifth verse. Ruth, on the other hand, could not do anything about her, uh, herself. She was totally hopeless and helpless and futureless. But Ruth responded to Boaz. Ruth repented for her past. She removed her garments of mourning, which represented her past. And Ruth requested that he redeem her. And Ruth received the promise of redemption, third chapter, 11th verse, and she received the pledge for future redemption, third chapter, 15th verse. Dear brothers and sisters, the, Jesus gives us not only the promise of present redemption, but the pledge of future redemption. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many mansions. So what we see here is Naomi, who had gone away from Bethlehem, experienced so much of pain, so much of bitterness, but God was giving her a second chance. 
the second chance that God was giving her began when she decided to get back to Bethlehem. Perhaps there are some of you here who need to appropriate that second chance that God is making available for you. Perhaps it was not just a 180 degrees move from Bethlehem to somewhere else. Maybe it was just a 5 degree correction that you need to make, a 10 degree correction, a 20 degree correction that you need to make. But this may be the day when you need to come back to Bethlehem. And look at this marvelous joy that, God, that awaits you. And God made Naomi a blessing to someone who was hopeless. And that's the future that God has for us. No, as some of us who are parents and grandparents who are burdened about praying for younger people, we need to be learning to invest, even as Naomi was in her children's lives. Rather than saying they are adults now, they let them, let them take care of what they want. As we are interceding for them, God will make it possible for them to run into people, run into circumstances, so that they will come under the mighty hand of God, because God is working behind the scenes. Ruth, on the other hand, there may be some of you like Ruth here, you feel absolutely hopeless. You say, I've blown it, I've j- I have no future, I'm under a curse, I've dis- I-, I-, I, have, uh, uh, I have disobeyed God. There is, if there was hope for Ruth, there is hope for you and me. Do you want to come back just like Ruth did? And you need to cleave. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Boaz was a worthy redeemer. He was willing to redeem. He was waiting to redeem. And he redeemed Ruth. And this redemption led to an eternal blessing. Now what an incredible blessing. Ruth became for generations to come. And what lesson she teaches us, no matter which part of the spectrum that we are on, either early in the part of our journey, midstream, or later on, the determination that we have will be rewarded. Because Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. God says, him that honoreth me, I will honor. You know, the word Charlotte Elliot may not mean much to you, She was a woman who was facing a lot of physical pain and calamity in her life. And she would go into this outburst periodically, much to the embarrassment of her uh, family. One time a pastor came to visit her. And at the dining table she had one of these fits of rage that she was just uh, angry against God and, and was railing against God because of this calamity that she was facing. And the, and the embarrassed family left the dining room, left the room, le- left her alone with the pastor. And the pastor broke the silence. He said to her, you're tired of yourself, aren't you? You're holding on to your hate, your anger, because you have nothing else to hold on to. And consequently, you have become bitter and hard-hearted and resentful. Charlotte listened intently and she said, what do I do? What's the cure? And the pastor said, the faith you're trying to reject. As the pastor talked, Charlotte's heart softened. And she gave her life to Jesus. And she said, what do I do? And the pastor said, just as you are with your fightings, with your fears, with your pain, you come to Jesus. So just as she was, she, she came without any hesitation 
at the, to the foot of the cross, gave her life to Jesus, became a Christ follower. Several years later, Charlotte Elliott's brother, Henry Elliott, was a pastor, and he was building a school for uh, the children of poor clergy in England. She wrote a poem, and she sold that poem throughout the country, raised enough money for the, for the school. And several years later, someone gave music to that poem, and that poem has become the greatest invitational say, a song, in the history of this world during evangelical crusades of Billy Graham and others, just as I am, without a plea. And that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. We don't know the journey of Charlotte Elliot, but we are all partakers and have in some shape or form at some time received the blessing as we sang that song, just as I am. What our destination would be is dependent on the journey that we embark on today. And God is working behind the scenes to help us in that journey. Let us pray. Just uh, in a couple of minutes, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. You can just ask Jesus and say to the Holy Spirit, What has the Holy Spirit spoken to you today? Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today forever, is here in our midst. This is his house. He's a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Whether it is the pain of loneliness, whether it is the pain and bitterness of a disappointed life, he's willing to redeem it whether it's a challenge that we need to be like Naomi, speaking into the lives of people and seeing their life transformed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this marvelous life that gives us hope. Not only hope for the present, but hope for the future. The blessings that will outlive us are just waiting for us. If only we could come to you in total submission and surrender. Going where you want us to go. Making your people our people. And making Jesus' Father our God. And may we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Three words come to my mind for the benediction. Faith, surrender, determination. Faith to believe that the plans he has for you are to build you and give you a future. Grace to surrender what you need to surrender. And strength so that you'll have the determination to fix your eyes on Jesus. Go in Jesus' name.